the most potent one-two punch in racing history. Honda's number 11, David Bailey, a young, determined, and supremely talented rider who tore up the tracks like a legend in the making. The second half of that combination was a legend already made. The winningest rider in motocross history, Bob Hanna. Together, they were the dominant force to reckon with in virtually every moto in the 1983 Supercross season. A season of rejoicing, disaster, and calamity. A Pulp MX Network production. A series of the most exciting action imaginable. Second place falls for Ryan Filipino. Dungey gets by for Welcome to the Leanne Re-Raceables on PulpMX.com. Mathis and Weed revisit the instant classics from yesteryear, spotlighting those historic moto moments that simply never grow old. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Liat Re-Raceables podcast. Thank you for listening. Today, it is 1983 Millville National, the debut race down there in Minnesota, debut national for those guys. And so, yeah, we're going to talk to the great David Bailey. He, uh, as you'll hear, he uh, made himself a lot of money on this day and uh, really cemented a legacy as well. So we'll get into that and more. Uh, thanks to the folks at Liat. Different people ride for different reasons, yet there's a common denominator that binds all of us who put their body on the line for sheer enjoyment. And this is what Liat offers as a brand. They make protective wear, helmets, goggles, riding gear, knee braces, boots, neck braces. They cover riders from head to toe in moto and mountain bike. But what Liat really stands for is a promise of things to come. They are in the business of making sure that you have the confidence and the equipment to push yourself faster, harder, and further than you ever thought you could go. Visit them at Liat.com. Thanks to Liat for being the title sponsor of this podcast. Really good reviews and uh, good social mentions about this thing. And so if you want to deal on anything uh, from Liat, uh, email us using the contact form at pulpamex.com. I'll give you a code to save at Liat.com. It's that simple. So thanks to the folks at Liat, and you can listen and enjoy these pods, and you can save with the code. I also want to thank the folks at Maxis and Blenzol, of course, Maxis Tires, Blenzol Oil, and, uh, and you people for listening. With me, as usual, to break this thing down and touch on it, it is the Jason Wygan. What's up, Weege? Yes, the Bailey episode. I'm very, very happy. This is inevitable. No one, no one has a better memory of old races than David Bailey. We've had some, I'm not going to name guests on this show who don't really remember a lot about epic events they were in. Mm -hmm. That is not, that is not David Bailey. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, he's an icon on the sport, uh, in the sport, of course, for what he did on the track. And then, dude, for, for so many of us, he was the voice on TV uh, for so long. And you are a big historian of the sport when it comes to the tv thing and you got to work with david bailey for a number of years as your color commentator that would have been pretty cool it's unbelievable actually it might be it might be the most amazing thing about my entire working career i'm not going to say it's greater than having uh, you know a wife or children yep but beyond that uh, okay I, this i'm not overhyping this let me explain this so i've loved motocross my whole life but there was a time where i was starting to get a little less into it you know, the, the Stanton, JMB, Bradshaw era was so epic. And then all of a sudden, they were just gone. They, those guys were just gone. 
they disappeared basically yeah. within the course of one year. They go from the three best guys to gone, and then this McGrath guy, who no one expected to be this good, is just dominating. And I'm like, I don't even know about this dude, and where are my heroes, and what is going on? And then at the time I'm like 14, 15 years old, you start getting into other things, like hanging out with my buddies at high school and cruising for chicks and stuff like that. And I was, I found myself 93, 94-ish, the least into motocross I'd ever been. I'd ah. still tape every yeah. race and watch yeah. it, yeah. but I wasn't obsessed anymore until, until the summer of 94, the Nationals broadcast on ESPN for the first time, and they decide to bring David Bailey into the booth. And previously, the races on TV had never had an X rider. There's a few here and there that pop up. You'll see old races where they throw in an X rider or two. But for the most part, you had Larry Myers by himself, Larry Huffman by himself, Dave Despain and Larry Myers together. None of these guys were X racers. Yeah. I am not joking. Bailey on the 94 Nationals giving that breakdown from an X pros perspective and really the way only Bailey could do it completely and totally changed my perspective on the sport. And then I was more all in than I'd ever been because of those shows and the fact that 15 years later i ended up being the announcer with him on the same shows yeah the nationals yeah doesn't make any sense at all so it doesn't really get any bigger or better than that for me i just if you had told me that that doesn't make any sense at all and this is no slight on gl or fro or ricky or all the guys that have kind of done it denny stevenson Mm -hmm. nobody has brought what David brought uh, in an analytical, in a, uh, a thought-provoking way that uh, for our sport that David does. Did I always like everything David said? I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I wasn't always the biggest fan of stuff that he did. But you cannot deny that he looked at it a little different than everybody else has before or since. Yeah, and I think honestly, the endorsement is. I think most of those guys you just named would say that. I mean, Grant Langston has told me that Bailey is the, the gold standard. And a lot of it, you know, if you're a certain age, you grew up listening to Art and David, and that gives them extra, an extra edge. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he broke down riding styles and what was good and bad. Yep. Uh, yep. I feel like he was willing to, you know, put it out there. Uh, it probably helped that they weren't always even going to the races, so you didn't even need a relationship with these guys, which is a lot different than it is now. But, uh, yeah, his analysis, I, the point I think you're making here is, he almost has two careers, right? Like there's the David Bailey as a racer, and then there's the David Bailey as the guy everyone grew up hearing on TV, yeah, yeah. which really adds you know, a, a lot to his legacy. No, you're, you're totally right, right? Yeah, he's yeah. one of the greatest all times. Of course, injury cut his career short, cost him some wins and some titles for sure, and then you look at what he did off the track. And So uh, uh, you know, a guy that we both like uh, in, in main team sports, Bill Simmons, Bill Simmons, talks about you know, some of the best memories he had was when he was doing an NBA countdown on ESPN. And Magic Johnson was on the board, and he just, you know, he talks about it from time and time again about hanging out with Magic backstage or hanging out in between uh, during the game and just picking his brain, right? Just getting all the stories. Uh, were mm-hmm. you like that mm-hmm. with David? Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's be honest. David is just a motocross guy, right? So you get these stories about training and riding. Uh, I'd say you can get more epic stories from other people, you know, who are part of the 90s party scene. <laughs> right, um, right. But here's what makes David Bailey so good uh, at probably helped him as a racer. But this is what made him so good on TV. I've said this to a lot of people. You could put a telephone in front of David Bailey and say, check this thing out and give him about 10 minutes to look at it and study it. And he would have this breakdown and this analysis, anything. Uh, Okay, I'm in I'm looking out my front window right now. There's a basketball hoop that you fill with water so it doesn't slide. He'd probably he could look at that and be like, hey, you know. 
who came up with the idea of putting water in this? And, and why would a guy be like, water's better than sand? And who are the guys that they're like, hey, if we took water out of it, you could move it or you could put it in your yard. When you do. He can analyze anything, anything, anything. Um, you could uh, – uh, the spiral within a spiral notebook. I would hear him talk about like, look at how this spiral is built. Look at how they had to peel this end to be able to get the paper through to be able to feed this on an assembly line. And I'm just like, dude, this guy just sees stuff. He can analyze anything. You throw in a complex sport yeah. like motocross, then it really comes into play. But I feel like his his mind, we talked about a lot of stuff beyond uh, just motocross because yeah. there's literally nothing that I think he can't read into yeah. very, very deeply. Yeah, yeah, and, yep. and and we called him up for this, and and he he gave us some great stuff. So that's coming yep. up here on the show, and uh, Lee at Reraceables. We got our categories yep. as well, also categories at the end after the interview. Um, so let's set the stage here. So this is 1983. You and I are both uh, young. We are. Uh, I'm eight, I think, at this point. Uh, you're younger than that, even. Um, this is Millville's first ever national. Again, great track, best mm-hmm. track on the circuit. Um, yep. Uh, so 1983 is coming, and David uh, uh, is a factory Honda rider, and he has already clinched the Supercross Championship, a very unlikely championship. Nobody really had him pegged for it, at least not yet. Um, and then uh, um, he came into this round. Uh, didn't He had the 250 outdoor title. Uh, he didn't need to do a ton to clinch that, uh, to do yeah. the sweep, basically. And then there was something called a GNC title, Weege, and uh, explain that. Yeah, so that's really the crux of this episode here. This bizarre moment in time where, okay, I guess if I have the story right, and you can literally read it, it's coming out this week in the uh, latest issue of Racerx Illustrated. We have a story about what this Grand National Championship was. So Wrangler Jeans decides to get involved with the sport, and apparently they had seen what the Winston sponsorship had done to NASCAR. It both helped their brand and helped NASCAR. So I guess Wrangler Jeans recognizes motocross as like this up-and-coming, exciting sport, so they want to get involved as a big title sponsor of everything, Supercross and Motocross. And I guess somebody there said, here's the problem. Why do you guys have like five champs? Like there's a Winston Cup champ at the end of the year at NASCAR. Why is there not a Wrangler dirt bike champ? So someone comes up with the idea. They're like, well, why don't we just combine the points, Supercross and Nationals, whoever has the most wins the the Wrangler Grand National Championship or the Super Series that I think it was referred to at Mm -hmm. times back then. Uh, and they had a hundred thousand uh, dollar total prize. I think thirty to the winner, and then I guess it paid back a couple of positions. So this was big. Not only you know thirty grand in nineteen eighty three to the winner is big money, but also this is a mainstream company like pushing yeah. the sport probably for the first time to this level. I, I would think and so, it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And it leads us to uh, not only a confusing you know championships within a championship, but also some sweet ads. Because Wrangler really was putting marketing behind this. These com- these uh, magazine ads that we've seen around from, from 83 with the riders hanging out at the track in their Wrangler jeans are just epic. Just hilarious. They're great. They're great. And, and of, so <laughs> what's funny, though, is so – and you may, people who, who don't know but maybe are sort of somewhat students of the sport may realize that – you know, David Bailey ran a yellow number one with, on a blue background in 1984. <laughs> And, yeah. and then, and then, so you're like, "What's that?" And and he was also Supercross champ, so that worked out okay. But then he moved to 500s, but he was the GNC champ, and so him and Brock Lover ran two number ones in the 500s. It was a bizarre time. Everybody, they wanted <laughs> yes, one champion. Lover, they wanted one champion, yeah. but they they got they got two. 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, there are a few photos out there of Bailey and, and Glover battling, and they're black and white picks, so you really can't tell if they have two different color number ones. Yeah. So, yeah, Glover was the defending 500 national champ. Bailey was the overall grand national champ, and you get two number ones yeah. together. Now, to give away the ending here in this uh, story, and again, it's out in RacerX this week, so you know if you're a subscriber, you can read it online, or you'll get it in the mail probably in a couple of days if, in the print magazine. Um, this is going to surprise you, Steve. It only lasted two years, mm. and then Wrangler moved on. But apparently, this is one part I did not know. Are you ready? Yeah. This was an AMA thing. This was an AMA sponsorship. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, uh, it sounds like there was a disagreement between the promoters oh. of Supercross and the oh. pros of the Nationals over why is the AMA getting this sales sponsorship? That's our money. Oh. And then they had a huge disagreement. Is this surprising to you? Oh, my. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> really shocked at so, this. So that's what led to, by 1985, two years later, uh, Supercross has one of its many, many AMA versus the promoter battles. Many. Where the AMA, yes, many, every five or six years, AMA versus the promoters. And I did not know that is why 1985 Supercross, the full season, was actually not an AMA series. It was yeah. over this argument of, hey, why are you selling sponsorship? Well, we're just going to leave. Yeah, and then there was uh, and, two and, AMA yeah. rounds in in '85, and the rest were in sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They went to Daytona and said, "Can you give us something?" So Daytona ran Daytona, and then a Talladega race to count as the AMA series, two rounds. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> and it the was rest of the rounds were yeah, pretty amazing. And, and uh, just to add the final beat, piece of intrigue, if this story in Racer X uh, by Larry Lawrence, the, the, it says that it was all led by Mike Goodwin, the originator of Supercross. And maybe the wildest personality in the history of the sport. He's the one that led the breakaway mm -hmm. from the AMA over this Wrangler money. Yeah. Um, so just uh, just adding a few more layers of yeah, intrigue to this. Exactly right. So, but it was cool. And and you know what? I was kind of like I was just reading the magazines and everything, just like you were back then. And David will get into it, but it really wasn't on his mind. <laughs> that was kind of my takeaway from our interview. What? I was surprised. I was surprised. Yeah. I thought it was the biggest thing. Right. Because uh, uh, it's looked back at, because it's only happened, you know, it only took place two years ever. Now it looks like a big deal, but I guess at the time, no one knew what to make of it. They were right. just trying to win their individual titles. So this, this leads me series. into asking you, would you like to see it back? Uh, Ken Roxon is the overall GNC champion right now, indoors and out. Uh, of course, he didn't get any champion either championship. But would you see? Would you like to see it back? I would because you know. Let's be honest. Uh, as we're speaking right now, right? Like Dylan Ferrandez has already wrapped up the 450 national title before the finale. So if you just do the math and you say that you're handing out two number one plates and an additional one, it just leads to the chance of another talking point. Maybe you get a finale that's close, like this 1983 thing turned out to be. You know, it added. That must have been an epic day. You had both. The 250 and 125 national titles still up for grabs. Yep. And this additional grand national title. No, oh, and Glover, too. Glover grabs. clinched on this day, too. Oh, Glover had, did not have it wrapped. No, Glover did not wow. have it wrapped. So Glover clinched. Okay, so th yeah. Yeah. Three titles, three different classes up for grabs. Because back then, you had 125, 250, and 500 nationals together on the same day. And this. I just think it's an additional talking point. I do feel that you should never take any one individual year as an example. I am sure... Ken Roxon would be the Grand National champ this year, presumably. I mean, Eli Tomac has a – no, actually, I don't think Tomac can pass him. I don't think he can. No, I, I don't think, think so, yeah. I think Roxon already has this. Now, look, this is a weird year. Roxon didn't win either title. I do think it would be a weird look for Roxon who, hey, got beat by Webb. Hey, got beat by Ferrandis. And he's a champ. It is a weird look. 
Well, but I don't. I wouldn't think that is the way it would work uh, very often. I don't know. And who can forget though when Eli Tomac was the Triple Crown champion? Who could forget that? Oh. That was they had a trophy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was the best in the Triple Crown Supercross races. Right, right. Um, but I think you're gonna. You know, the majority of the years that you had this, you'd probably have either the 450 national champ or and or the 450 supercross champ also wins this title. Yeah. So he's a champion already. I don't think anyone would poo-poo it. I, I think there's a chance it actually does come back, believe oh, yeah. it or not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I, I think there's been talks to, to maybe, you know, would this work? Could this work? I thought that's not a guarantee it's right. happening. But I think some people are like asking, like, hey, what do you think? So, so it does make things confusing, but it does add a little extra drama at the end of the year. So coming into this race, uh, Bailey was up by uh, two on Barnett. Mark Barnett. Mark yeah. Barnett had gotten second in Supercross, and 125s hadn't gone great. Barnett was my hero as a kid. Him and Rollerball were my two guys, Suzuki's. And uh, um, Barnett had a bunch of breakdowns. He, he was three-time 125 national champion going for a fourth. And no one was complaining online about Bomber staying down, by the way. No one was complaining I, online. I cannot believe this. I knew this always, but it had not really sunk into me until a couple of weeks ago. Right. You, 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 on a, one like, of our group texts, this came yeah. up to you. Yeah. I'm just like, wait a minute. Barnett won three 125 titles in a row and just was going to come back to win four? Yeah. Yeah, he what, was. What is up with that? I don't know, bro. I mean, I think 125s were still, you know, thought of as a, you know, super deep class. And, and it's not like, well, he's a 125 specialist. They didn't have 125 Supercross back then. No. And, uh,. He raced 250 Supercross, and he was really good. Yeah, yeah. And, and Hannah raced 125s the year before, you know? Um, and he was already seven years into an epic career. So it just that happened. That was a weird deal. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, that was a but, weird Yamaha thing. So yeah. uh, he's up by two going into this yep. race. Bailey gets fourth in the first moto. Uh, Barnett gets second behind Ron Lachine. And Barnett is now up by two with one moto to go. Yeah. Bailey goes into the into the first moto or into the second moto. Uh, Hannah, as he he's going to tell the story, Hannah takes the yep. lead. Hannah pulls over for him. Bailey wins the moto. Barnett gets held off by Ron Lachine the entire moto. Lachine catches passes him in the moto early in moto two, and Bomber cannot get by Lachine. Lachine goes one one. Bomber goes two two. Bailey goes four one, and Bailey wins the GNC championship by a single point. Yeah, so it literally comes down in the last moto of the year because points count in either division. So Bailey's total points racing 250s or Bomber's total points racing 125s. It all counts. Now, by the way, Steve, we're okay with that because these are two national championships. This is – I don't want anyone sniping and saying, oh, but you hate the fact that 250 Supercross counts for a national number. Those are split in half yep. talent regional series. Yep. Uh, we're all good with Bomber's 125 national points. And, and I'm all good with Jeremy – the same. And I'm all good with Jeremy Martin racing 250 motocross until he's 40. <laughs> I'm fine with it. Unfortunately, it might happen. I'm fine with it. You're fine with because it. Because it's everybody. Okay. It's a national class. It's everybody in there. You know, um, mm -hmm. it's not split up or anything else. It's a national class. So um, so this uh, Wrangler Super Series, Triple Crown, whatever they want to call it, GNC title is decided by, yes, in the final moto of the year, Barnett gets second in the 125s and Bailey gets first. And that's enough to give the Bailey the title by one point. And, 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 Hannah, and Hannah moves over. Hannah moves over. Cycle news at the time doesn't isn't really clear. <laughs> Barnett is no. Barnett is quoted in the cycle news as saying, "I was just a victim of some team racing by Honda, no doubt about it." Uh, yeah. Bob's not quoted anywhere in the article, and uh, and Bailey, you know, doesn't say much in the cycle news story about it. And um, 
But afterwards, we we all know, and Bailey will get into it in this interview about you know, kind of what went down. Shout out to Tom Kalnowski, who whoever that is, who wrote the Cycle News story. Hit hit us up on DM or something if you know who this guy is. Uh, he did an excellent job of insinuating. It was the classic, we report, you decide. He does not say that Hannah used team tactics and pulled over to allow Bailey to win that moto. But he just gives you enough information for you to make a reasonable conclusion yep. <laughs> on your own. Yep. So yep. I feel like at the time, it's like, this is too incendiary. This is too big a deal. No one's going to accuse anyone of team tactics. But I'll just tell you how the moto played out, and you will know without me actually typing the words. Yeah, and of course, Hannah was involved in the 1977 oh. Let Brock by thing yeah. that still is talked about yeah. to this day so bob bob's done a couple of those things now i heard a story i wasn't able to confirm it before the podcast or before the call with with uh with david i heard a story yep. one time from somebody you know an old timer uh that bob just rode off into the woods for a while after the race i thought that was uh i thought that was the let brock by oh, Yamaha days. okay That's this one i thought this was we this one maybe i'm wrong switch. yeah maybe okay. someone needs to call wouldn't hannah just ride off into the woods for a while <laughs> so. pissed off uh, but and, and we're going to get into it with David, but make no mistake about it. In 83, I was a bomber guy, and I was pissed that David beat him here. And uh, funny that I'm probably the best friends with Ron Lachine, who held him off uh, out of all the guys, <laughs> you know what I mean? And Dogger held him off. But uh, make no mistake about it, this was Hannah's first year on a factory Honda. He'd, he'd of course, been an all-time champ at, at Yamaha. And, dude, he was balls fast in 83. Just got hurt, though. That's actually one of my favorite things to have queued Bailey up on back in our TV days together, much like it's fun to try to get Epic Stew stories out of people. Uh, epic Bob Hanna stories of his speed, of his absolutely ridiculous daring. You know, it is unfortunate now that I guess we were at the point where the Bob Hanna days are so long ago that maybe the memory is starting to fade. Anyone who is around knows that he's all-time legend, like right up there with anyone ever, right? Yep. But – there are probably, you know, anyone under probably 40 now probably might not realize that that was the best way Bailey could have described it to me. I'm like, what was it like testing or riding in the hills with Hannah? And he's like, it was like James Stewart, which yeah. is the highest compliment you can ever give somebody. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Um, that's how balls fast. And I, you know, you and I are just old enough to have seen videos of Hannah, even gone to some races he was in. And the, the riding style there was, there's hanging it out, there's balls out, there's full castration, and then there's Bob Hanna. Like, <laughs> yeah. he is so freaking out of control. He's loose. Balls He's to the wall loose. fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing, and you've said this many times. When you go back and watch a lot of these 80s races on these crap tracks, on these crap bikes, I know that works Hondas in the day were trick, but let's be honest, they had drum brakes, right? Like, they, they everything looks slow compared to what we're used to now. Yep. But you can watch videos of Hannah, say, at Unadilla, and still be like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that guy. Yeah, if you watch those USGPs where he went head-to-head with, with, with uh, O'Mara a couple of those years, yeah, he's good. <laughs> you're like, yeah. he, you're like that dude's hauling ass. I don't care if it is 1985. Yep. He's Ab hauling ass. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I thank the folks at Maxis, of course, uh, the SGB Maxis team with A-Ray and Rod Bell and Jeremy Smith. Uh, developed by Jeremy McGrath, uh, MXSTs. Uh, check them out. If you're in the market for a high-end moto tire and you haven't thought about Maxxis for a while, well, think about Maxxis now. 
get a uh, MXST tire, uh, mountain bike tires, great mountain bike tires as well over there at the folks at Maxis. So please check out Maxis.com. Again, thanks to Liat for coming on board. And Blenzol. Uh, really, we, we got the real the read to do that we normally do, but I think the best part of the, of the Blenzol right okay. now, going on right now, is Hunter Slauger. He is a Blenzol back dude. He went 16-23 at Paula. Uh, I, I hung out with him a little bit at Glen Helen on Tuesday. He started at 14th in each moto. Hunter Slager on the Yamaha Privateer Power blends all supporting him. Uh, and he's an awesome dude. We love the Privateer guys like that. I mean, I don't even know what Hunter Slager's you know ultimate goals are as a racer. I mean, this could be it, right? You know, 16th in a moto is badass. Um, so you kind of feel like when the Privateers are running it, it's probably pretty good. You know, I, he's probably not doing it for a massive check, or no. because his team told him to. Yeah, absolutely. So, if you want to uh, enter the contest, we give away either a two-stroke or a four-stroke uh, Blenzol each. Liat Reraceables. So, uh, simply send me an email using the contact form at pulpmex.com. Mention Blenzol or contest or Hunter Slauger, uh or anything in the subject line, and we'll put them all together and we'll, we'll award one random guy some Blenzol oil. So, thanks for, to those guys for listening, and uh, and thanks to you people for listening to the latest Liat Reraceables eighty-three Millville. Very, very big day for David Bailey. Uh, do you want to talk to him, Weege? Let's do it. All right. Here's David Bailey, everybody. And now on the Lee at Re-Raceables podcast, very pleased and proud to bring you our guest for this show. And uh, we set the stage earlier, uh, the final round of the Nationals of 1983 and the GNC Championship up for grabs. And the man who took it home after two motos at Millville is on the line. Multi-time Supercross Motocross champion, David Bailey. What's up, David? How are you, man? Good. Good to be back on uh, on the phone with you guys and chatting about some good stuff. Well, you're, it's your old TV partner, right? I mean, that's why you're really doing yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> I miss those days. I'm glad. The, it, it worked the I'm glad the air is off. Yeah. I think, man, I don't even remember. I, I really can't remember. I don't know. Do you remember what year it was? The last time you did one of the shows? The last time we worked together? It's probably... Shocking how many years it's probably been. Maybe we don't want to know. Yeah, I think when you first started was at yep. Glen Helen in 2010. And, yeah, uh, and then we did a few, right? maybe two more years or something. Yeah, I think I did it that season and then like part of the next season. And then physically I was like, I can't keep going. But I enjoyed that. What was fun about it was it was, your, it was new for you. And yep. I was kind of like coming back to it which was sort of fun for me but they had just changed everything to hd and then we went to hangtown for round two it was live that was the first one yep. mm-hmm. so yeah it's a lot of firsts and you were so fun to work with because i i never had to be a little nervous about shoot what if what if i'm left hanging and i got a fill <laughs> you just hammered it wow so i was always so relaxed uh, wow! Well, l- listen, DB, DB, you you brought that thing up, okay? You added some class to that, and why? And this thing, it's never been the same since you left. So, um, <laughs> uh, I can back that up. I can back. That yeah, up. yeah. It, it's uh, it's funny, uh, David. We've been doing these pods for. We started in January, so we go back and look at a lot of old races, right? And uh, uh, you and Art are, are part of a number of these shows. And, uh, you know, we just had, we just did uh, Ezra. Uh, we called Ezra about um, uh, 03 Phoenix, and we called him about 98 Phoenix, and you're on there uh, in some of these ones. And, like, 98 Phoenix, 
you're pretty much calling it like what's going to happen the next few races or next few corners of the race. And White Weege and I are like, yeah, we're like Bailey's on it. Bailey's on it. He knows exactly what's going on here, and he's gonna and he calls it pretty much perfectly. So uh, yeah, that you know just goes back and how good you were at your job. It was fun to do, and it, you know I attribute a lot to that to to Spain, who I was with in the first season, and then Art. And what those guys, they were polished, and they had so much experience. And so they just imparted to me, like, look, we're going to just, you know, anchor this thing. And what we want to know from you is not what we're seeing necessarily, because we saw it. Everyone saw that. Yeah. But can you anticipate that for us or make a prediction of what, you know, yeah, he's gaining on them. Do you think he's going to get them or not? Is there enough time? Yeah. And I would have to make predictions based on my own experience of what I was seeing out there. And sometimes I was wrong, but when I was right, it looked like, did he watch that first? You know, I got a lot of that. It was good advice from those guys, and that's really what set the stage for me going like, oh, okay, I can do that. Right, right. Uh, 83 Millville, the first year of the Millville National. Uh, you take home the uh, Supercross Championship. You take home the motocross championship but david there's still one more title up for grabs it's a brand new gncc gnc grand national championship um and you're coming into the race one point up on mark barnett uh it's and what it was was supercross and motocross added together and of course barnett's in 125s and you're in 250s but what do you what do you remember about that day well i remember uh, honda had hired peter star to do this to come along and film these races. And so there was a lot of that around. And I had already wrapped up the Supercross thing by like a point or two over Barnett at the Rose Bowl, like three or four weeks before that. Then we went to Washington, Golden, Colorado, then to Millville. And so that's when Peter Starr and his whole crew joined us. And he was in the car with me with a great big, you know, three-quarter inch like TV camera in my rental car and, I'm trying to act natural and not nervous, but I remember thinking, man, I didn't expect to win the Supercross. Right. So that's pretty rad, and I'm I'm happy about that. And if I get this national championship as well today, then, um, man, that'll be just icing on the cake. So after the first moto, I was a little nervous going into that. I had I really wasn't thinking about the Wrangler thing. I was like, uh, you know, hey, if that happens, great. But right now, I want to win this 250 national championship. That's that's priority. Uh-huh. And so I rode real tight and nervous in the first moto, and I just got I got the whole shot, but I got dropped. Burnworth went by me in the sand whoops, and then Hannah, and then RJ, and I didn't even see those guys. But I I came across the finish line, going, yes, I won the Supercross, and I won the 250 national championship. And then in the pits, um, all of a sudden the not from me, because um, I was kind of dissatisfied already. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. full. Yeah. But I could see uh, some people standing on the bumper in the back of Bob's, Hannah's box fan. He won the first moto. was gone. Yeah. Untouchable. And I was like, oh, I see what's going on. So now it's this Wrangler thing that no one cared about until now. <laughs> yeah. And, um, well, I kind of, you know, it'd be nice, but. I was aware that Mark had broken down a, a couple of times on the 125 that season, mm-hmm. and um, I had already beaten him by just barely at the Rose Bowl. So I was sort of feeling like I don't know if this is really fair. You know, I'm just <laughs> I'm just standing here in my dolphin shorts, probably, and it was super hot. 
And then here goes this final moto. And if Lachine holds him off, holds off Barnett again, like he's had in three previous motos, I win this thing. Huh? I mean, that would be cool, but it's, it's odd. You know, it was, there was nothing like that prior. So that was my thinking. And so when I saw everybody in the back of Hannah's box van, you know, the Coster, I think, and Arnold and Suzuka, one of the Japanese guys, uh, Lunas, I knew that they're probably going like, hey, um, if it works out that David's behind you, mm-hmm. would you mind just, you know, scooting over a little, let him have those extra three points just in case, and you'll still win the overall. Yeah. I knew that was being talked about, and nobody said a word to me. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So when I went to the line, I was like, I the tiger, like, that's BS. I mean, I, I that's cool, but I respect Bob a lot, and I already know about all the let people buy stuff. So right, right. I don't want that to be for me. I'm going to win this thing if it if I have to die if, at the finish line. I'm winning this thing outright, fair and square. Mm-hmm. And then whatever happens, happens. So with the 250 title out of the way, I didn't have anything to lose except go as absolutely fast as I could go and see if I could actually beat Bob fair. I whole-shotted, took off, actually pulled a little gap, mm-hmm. I think. And then uh, I thought, see, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah I got this. I got this. <laughs> so straight I'm up. I'm going to beat him straight up. My gorge. I've never ridden that fast. It was a really cool track. Loved it. Yeah. And um, about maybe just before halfway, here comes Bob. And I'm like, what? How? <laughs> How is this guy going faster than this? Yeah. And so he came by me, and I thought, well, shoot, you know, that's that's kind of probably how it is, right. you know. And, um, but I was riding behind him, and we were way ahead of Rick, I think it was third, way ahead. And I was wondering in the back of my mind, like, I, I don't want to just, you know, drop my shoulders and just wait for him to pull off or something. I'm going to keep trying. And so I had him in sight pretty close the whole rest of the race and then with about maybe a few laps to go i think um kind of after that chatapult jump um where he got bucked you go up a hill and it was different back then but you went up into the trees and you couldn't see up in there right went into a little left-hander and he just went wide and i i kind of was like oh this is it (laughs) oh that's what happened wow and like I think there was just a flagger standing up there, you know, all by right. himself. So I, w- I took it, and then he was on my butt. <laughs> make it, you know, and I was like, why well, is this for, you know, is he going to try to get me? What's going on? And um, he was on me and really making me earn it. And he actually crashed in the last corner. He high-sided, and I went across the line absolutely exhausted. That was as hard as I could possibly ride. And Bob, you know, in my mind, still to this day, Bob had more than that, which has always been kind of mind-blowing. But um, he still got the overall, and I got that wind that I needed. And then I was just standing there like, well, it's, I think I just stood by the starting line at Millville. And I you couldn't really see the track, you know. You, so I just stood at the starting line, and I could see him here and there and off the finish line jump. And uh, it was odd. You know, it was kind of didn't feel right, but yeah. deep down I was hoping that Lachine could hold him off. And, man, you wouldn't think Lachine, who 
wasn't known for training and doing well in the heat and all that would pull Barnett off on a track like that in that weather. Yeah. But he did, and Barnett gave it all he had and, I think, you know, tried to make a move on him in the final corner. And what I saw was Lachine come over the – well, actually, my dad was uh, – Gary was standing up on the bench line job uh-huh. like after the corner. Yeah. And Peter Starr was on the other side with his camera. And I saw my dad raise his arm up like, yeah, and I'm like, well, I guess mm-hmm. it worked. And then I see Lachine come over the jump, exhausted like I was. Yeah. And I knew that I had it, so – yeah. yeah, it was uh, uh, kind of surreal. Yeah, Lachine says it in Cycle News. I'm going to go – this was really hard work. I'm going to go down by the creek now and cool off. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think the creek was um, – you had to ride through it, like through the water to, to get to the starting Did line. Did you really? There was no bridge back there. Yeah, there was yeah. no yeah. bridge or anything. Right, right. And so there was a lot of people just hanging out there because it was cold water. Right, right. Uh, okay. Weege, go ahead. It's so interesting to hear your perspective on this because now that this title, they only even did it for two years, and it had thirty grand on the line, which I think was a lot in nineteen eighty three dollars. On the outside, you would think, and Honda brings in this movie guy to do a documentary on it. It would seem like that was the main thing, but at the moment in that time, it's surprising to hear it. No, you just wanted to win the traditional titles: two fifty Supercross, yeah. two fifty Nationals, and this other thing was like, was it almost like it was so new? that no one even really knew what to make of it or what to think about it? Yeah, a lot of that. And and it seemed like Honda never really made any sort of an emphasis on it. There was certainly no bonus set aside for that. And Honda was oh. known right around oh. that time, at 83, I think 82 and 83, um, was when they, they restructured their bonus program. And it was pretty pretty nice. Yeah. A lot better than it had ever been, I guess. And so, yeah. back clear back then, I can say it was a hundred grand to win the Supercross title, another hundred grand to win the the two fifty national title, and so I was like feeling like a millionaire, and um, yeah. <laughs> more money than I ever had, and so thirty grand I was like, well, that's that's pretty good amount, but I don't, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't need it, you know. <laughs> I guess like it's cool or something, but right. But I was I just wanted the traditional thing mainly, and when I heard that. I was going to have to run this blue plate with a yellow number one. I was like, what? That's going to look weird. And so uh, oh, my no. friend Tom that, Mueller. Who that looked cool, Langer, by the way. That looked cool, David. I, oh, th- I think it looked cool. Believe yeah, me. Right. After, like, you know, the practice session or my heat race, I was walking back to the box van at Anaheim looking at my bike going, yeah, you know, that's pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, I, didn't, I didn't really think that was – that would look good on Barnett's bike, but I didn't think it looked good on mine. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of picky about how stuff looked. So I wasn't attracted to that. And the money I just made already was like, wow, what do I do with all this? And so 30 more was like, I'm already making a lot. I don't need every penny. <laughs> so that was my thinking. I was, like, serious about it, but right. partially because I thought it was neat that you had this overall guy that's like, who was the most consistent out of, even though we weren't racing against each other all year long, the tally of the points was like, man, it'd be cool to, to get that. And so that was my focus. And Tom Mueller was my friend and give me a little bit of, you know, PR advice here and there. And um, he thought it was cool. And, and so I was a little bit more privy to what all that entailed and why Wrangler did that. 
and how important it was, but I was so nervous about wrapping up the 250 title that I didn't focus on it that much until I was just standing there wondering what was going to happen in that final 125 moto. Then it was kind of cool. <laughs> and uh, how about 125s going last too, right? It's definitely something that's different nowadays, and, and, and shortly after 83 – you know, all three classes were on, and the 125s were last. That's a, that's an odd, yeah. an odd thing. So I always like to watch the races a little bit in between motos, but not expend too much energy standing in the sun or having to walk a long ways and right. stuff. So it, I loved Millville, loved it, but it was all up in the trees and quite a bit different than now, where you can see a lot. And to go, you know, cross the river and then way over, you know, halfway down the starting line to get a good vantage point. It was weird because I would I could hear the 500s mm-hmm. and Brock wrapped it up that day his first year of the 500 or second time I mean and um, but I didn't get to watch anything and I was like dang I have to see what he's doing what lines and then in the 125 I was just kind of not sure where to stand I, I felt sort of out of place and like and this all happened too soon I don't even know what to do. <laughs> Um, I just kind of felt a little green still. Like, this is all happening and winning everything? Yeah. I don't know about that. Anna should be winning some of this. Or Barnett. Now, I really looked up to those guys. Didn't think I was going to beat them that quick. Did Bob say anything after the race to you? Did anything happen uh, with Bob and no. you? No. Not that I recall. Yeah. I, I think he was, you know, happy that I won. And, and um, he seemed happy at the trophy presentation. And he is <laughs> funny, you know. He's right. really funny. Yeah. Now, and, uh, very entertaining, but I was just feeling like, um, okay, I, I won this, so I get that trophy, and I won this, so I get that, <laughs> that trophy, trophy. <laughs> and I had a great $30,000 check, right. and um, it was a little bit overwhelming, you know, uh, but I, I'm not saying I was bummed, but yeah. I was, if I had it to do over i would understand the magnitude of it all and probably would have treated things differently regards to walking over a machine truck and going hey dude yeah thank you very much and uh <laughs> i don't know what to do about that but yeah i'm gonna make that right in in time and same with bob hey thank you very much and i don't know that i said anything because i was so consumed with all the mm-hmm the hoopla that went on afterwards. And I, I'm sorry, you know, thinking back about that, like I should have handled that better, but that was green. And it just, it all happened so fast. I didn't really know how to respond. Now, 83 Bob, Bob's first year on the team and he is blazing fast all year, but he can't stay healthy, but he was pretty, pretty good. Wasn't he, David? Yeah. I mean, there were times during testing before anything happened, and I, I, sometimes I just look at Johnny and we just shake our heads like, well, <laughs> yeah. looks like he's pretty much back and he's going to win. Right. And if he doesn't win, I don't know why. It would take a disaster. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, he had his wrist. And in the 250 title, I don't know that that messed him up as much as he broke down. He broke a gearbox at um, Washugo in a moto. Mm-hmm. And so that was coming down to the wire of him being able to maybe still win the 250 title. And um, he won, I think, one moto, and then he broke down on the other. And I had, I fell, I screwed up in the first lap, both motos, so I was way back. And back then it was real dry and a little bit dusty. So I was a distant, like, three, four. I didn't really capitalize on that. 
And then uh, Bob was like, hey, you know what? Why don't you come to Sun Valley? A bunch of us are getting, it was a week off. And come up here, we'll go tubing. I'd never been to Sun Valley. And I thought, man, it'd be cool to go up by Bob's and go with him flying and do, do some, you know, live a little. Yeah. But I thought, I'm no, I want to win everything if I can. And I, if I'm here, up here, I'm going to be horsing around. And so I went back to Axton, and it was just me and a bird and a squirrel <laughs> and heat. Just I was by myself, working hard, training hard with a with visualizing like I want to go to Denver, the second to the last round, and then the last round at Millville. And I didn't know what to expect at Millville. I'd never been. I didn't know it was going to be that hot. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to go home while those guys were tubing and having a good time and really work hard and put myself in the best possible position to capitalize. And then when I look how it turned out, we we came back from that break at Denver and Bob had a bad moto or he looped out or something and was back pretty far. And the other moto was somehow to his ignition, I think. So that just sealed it for me when winning the 250 title. And I didn't have a lot a lot of pressure at Millville to do that. But he was the fastest guy, without question. Everyone would agree. I would, you know, of course, come along and say absolutely. And it was a, I was a fan of him, um, obviously, all the Yamaha days and when I was an amateur. But I was a fan of him when he was on our team. I'd just watch him in races sometimes when I was right behind him for a little while and just be in awe. So to beat him was like, ah, it's kind of bittersweet. You know, I was like, man, he really should have won this stuff. And Barnett should have won, like, something here. But um, (laughs) I got it all, and it was just – I I had gone from national number 93, and you had to earn it back then, and then I went to 45, kind of cut it in half, then to 23, kind of cut it in half again, then 11. Yeah, I never thought of that. So you see, I I was progressing like that, and I thought – in 83, you know, I'm not going to beat Bob, especially after watching and testing and stuff. Yep. But, you know, I'll be in the top five, probably. End up somewhere in there, and I'll get a good number, like four or five or six or something. And so to, for it to go like that, I, it took a little bit of good fortune, and I got it. And I worked hard to get it, but uh, it came my way, and I was in position to capitalize. Yeah, I, I asked uh, David one time in one of our many hangout sessions in the truck, I'm like, yeah, what was Hannah like just playing around? You know, you still watch him in these races, even in the early 80s. You could tell how fast he was. But I wanted to know more, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff. And, David, I remember you summed it up like this. You're like, it was like probably riding with Stewart. It's the same thing. It's like you could oh, ride yeah. with James Stewart. <laughs> it would blow your mind. And I remember, was able like, to do uh, yeah, similar. Where the, when James was number 259 on the 125 still in Supercross, the 250 guys would practice, and then the 125s would go out, and the 250 guys would, like, hand their bike to the mechanic, and then they'd go up in the stands and watch James's practice. Yeah. <laughs> yep. They didn't just go back to the semi and, like, well, you know, I'll hear about it. or Who cares? He's not in our class. They would sit in the stands like, okay, some radical's going to go on, and it would. He'd yeah. never disappoint. <laughs> no, no. And so um, it was like that with Bob. Uh, on the track, where I, you know, some I've seen James do stuff before, where he'd just do this crazy wheel tap all the way over everything, and and I, I would just look at, you know, 
I don't know, Ricky or Reed or some of those guys, and they would just look at each other and laugh. Like, are you? Oh, come on. And so <laughs> that was Bob pretty much. But then aside from that, when he was uh, just on his own, he enjoyed, you know, he, he'd bring his dog, his uh, golden retrievers out sometimes. He took Johnny out and, and Jeff Hicks to Jawbone to do some radical riding out in the hills and he had a remote control plane he's really good at flying and um he was just really i heard adam sandler the other day on a little youtube clip talking about what it's like to sit courtside with jack nicholson <laughs> and he just his explanation of that was like oh he's just he knows everybody he's been everywhere he knows everything he's banana smart you know and he's just amazing it's, it's, it's really funny and um, Bob was like that. Yeah. It made me think of Bob immediately with the way that Adam answered that regarding Jack Nicholson. He, Bob had a network of people all over the country, so he would drive in the box van with, with Lunas a lot and not fly home or anything and stay and, and ride certain tracks. Because think about it, man. He was from 76 and 7. He already was kind of forming that network. And then by 83, he knew everybody. So when yeah. when he would get kind of cocky and do some funny stuff, it was like over my head a lot of times. But then later I'd be like, oh, okay, I get it now. And that that is funny, you know? So well, I think we all looked up to him like that. Now, I got to – I'm actually surprised to hear that because you'd think like that – I would think he'd be like, these stinking kids, I'm not showing anybody anything. I'm going to smoke these guys. I'm going to break their legs. I don't care if they're my teammates. It actually sounds like he was a little more caring than the, the rep was that he's just so gnarly. But he did take you guys in a bit. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he did uh, with me. It was He did that when he came back on Yamaha uh, for that little stint after he broke his leg. Mm-hmm. He would go to this yep. – um, it was a kind of a big amateur race down in South Carolina, Anderson, South Carolina. Eventually had a national there, I think. And mm-hmm. – he knew some people there. He'd go water skiing. Like I said, he knew people all over. And he'd come back and do this amateur race, and he would just kind of toy around and, and ride behind us in practice and cruise around with us in the moto, and then he'd win. And then in the other moto, he'd be gone. Like, hey, I figure you guys wanted to see what it looks like. You know, we'll see. But I, I always was just – we were all so thrilled when he would come to us and kind of horse around and, and uh, ride with us and make us think, like, man, it was, I was, like, right behind him for a couple, you know. And we'd talk amongst each other, like, that was rad. And then the next moment, mm-hmm. we're like, okay, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, oops. It was, it was neat that um, he was nice to me because he didn't need to be. He, he could and he wasn't like that with everybody, and I don't want to name names. I can't really think offhand, but I was – I appreciated it, and um, I understood that this is special. And perhaps he knows that, you know, when he's done winning, and then I'll probably be in that slot, and he'd probably like to see me do good. I heard him say that one time in an interview after I got hurt, which is exactly what I was, you know, assuming. Right. And it was neat to hear it. And that's how it felt. So I'm very appreciative for how he handled that and, even though he doesn't talk very well at Howerton, Howerton was like that with me as well. I, I, I got to, like, have an art. And then, you know, Despain, it was similar with those guys that had a, a long time winning to sort of pull me in and go, hey, you want to do some flat tracking around some trash cans together? Yeah, with oh, yeah, Howerton yeah. one time? Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. 
okay. <laughs> you know, it was, it was really neat. Now, talking about Barnett, David, on the Elite Re-Raceables here, by the way, thanks to Maxis and Blenzall, I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old in 83, and I was a Suzuki kid, and I loved Barnett. He was my guy. And I was so bummed that yeah he threw a chain in super he threw yeah. a chain in Supercross at some round he uh, lost this championship you know to you it just I mean obviously you know it it didn't work I think I did the math one time David and Barnett obviously he won the eighty one Supercross title or eighty two I guess eighty one no eighty one and um, I did the math one time he lost three Supercross titles by like twelve points or something or fifteen points like yeah. like he. He could have been multi multi time guy, but but you got him, Donnie Hansen got him, and so on and so yep. forth. But here my point was, I guess, so reading the cycle news, my guy Barney, he had the lead. Lachine caught him and passed him. So yeah. you know, uh that was something you know, again, I didn't want to read that, but that's those are facts that it says in cycle news that Bar- yeah. Lachine caught him passed him. So And I don't think it was because Mark was, I never talked to him about it, you know, probably wasn't his favorite subject, but uh, it looked to me like he was all systems go, didn't really have any reasons, like, well, you know, had the wrong front tire. He was hauling butt, and Lachine was just Just, on. Just just better, yeah. Um, But but now, you you texted us a funny story. You were on a plane with him right after this race. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, let's see, so Johnny won the 125. Yep. And had a broken foot, and um, he was in his room throwing up and sick, and just like it, it was, it, it took its toll on him, if, if I remember right. And he was just like wiped out. And um, so you think, oh, he went a title, that's rad. No, he was. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't all that great. Like <laughs> you think. And then uh, Brock won the five hundred, and I won all the rest, and so. Because Honda had been sending a team to the donations for a little bit, they decided, you know, Kawasaki and Yamaha, whatever, and AMA, they're like, wait, 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 wait. Yep. Now, let's make this let, – let, okay, let's not do that. We all want in on this. And so they decided, okay, we're going to have a Honda, Kawasaki, Suzuki, and a Yamaha. And um, Johnny had been, you know, the other two years and certainly deserved to go, but his he was hurt. And I was the guy picked. So I was sort of like the team captain. Um, but the other three guys I'm looking at, you know, Ward, Brock, and, and Barnett, I'm like, man, I, I, I think I have their autograph somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I'm the team captain. That feels weird. Yeah. But we were sitting in coach, I think, and, you know, sitting waiting at the gate to get on the plane. And, um, Mark just like playing cards and and super friendly and it it was as though nothing had happened, nothing at all. He had no sort of disappointment. Right. And I don't know that he had like some great poker face. He just is. And a few times I've I've talked to him in recent years and stuff since he's been driving tractors and just came to my house one time to say hi and he's so nice. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking, man, I. Probably should have approached him a little bit more during our career. Like, what a neat guy! And so, <laughs> I thought it was going to be super awkward because we're all in coach and sitting, you right. know, not together but close by. And it wasn't. He made it fine. And so I just kind of went like, okay, well then, 
on to our next thing, and we flew out either the very next day or the day after that. Right. That was a scramble to get all the bikes crated in the parking lot there at the hotel, and, and then everything shipped. And we went straight to Belgium for the 500 trophy to nations, maybe it was. Yep. And uh, Mark's bike broke down again. He yeah. got the whole shot. His shock went, photo, right? And, like, the yeah. second last, yeah, it just sagged out, and he's just like, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. uh, he could have he could have had a lot more, but I think if you talk to him and the way he seems, he's like, ah, you know, it yeah. worked out. Okay. Yeah, bomber's not. Bummer. Yeah, bomber's not a big uh, look back and regret type of dude for sure. The times I've talked to him, yeah, he's he's perfectly happy with everything that happened in his career, and he three time one twenty five title, you know, winner, and then supercross one one supercross title, and yeah, yeah. Mark's not a big uh, yeah look back and. Regret. You got to pull it out of him almost to talk about his race career. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yep. So that '83 title, hey, the Supercross, okay, which is also yep. what led to the 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 Grand National Wrangler deal. Um, I would I had won the first race at Anaheim, and I wow, it's my first Supercross win, first time I ever been raced at Anaheim. And then uh, Bob won a couple. I was second. I got third at Daytona, and so I was up there. But in Dallas. On press day, I broke my ankle, my right ankle, real bad, really bad. Jeff Spencer put me on the plane to some special doctor out here in Pasadena. And so I missed that round altogether. I didn't ride anything. And back then, you used to get points for your heat race and the semi and the main. So Mark got a big leap of points on me there, and mm-hmm. then I was always kind of playing catch-up. So then when Bob hurt his wrist at Orlando... Barnett had a narrow margin on me, and then when he broke his chain at, at Foxborough, it was sort of like, to me, it was sort of fair. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I moved to Dallas, and then he missed that one, so it's like, well, I don't feel guilty or, you know, that's no fair. That, that's that's fair, fair and square. Wow. And then, uh, but he definitely, it was heartbreaking to see him lose the 125 and, and the Grand National title by such a narrow margin. Because, you know, what a, he's somebody you want to root for. You know, yeah. as, even as his competitor, like, he's really good. I don't think I ever saw him go slow. He first yeah. lap of practice, he's flying. You know, he's – uh, he, David, sorry to interrupt. He's almost the guy, like, when I talk to Bob, talk to you, talk to Johnny. You know, I see Johnny at the races, right, with the Lawrence brothers. Um, you guys, he – Barnett has the ultimate – uh, respect from all of you guys, like as a gnarly guy, yeah. like as a gnarly dude. Nobody, yeah, just it strikes me always like whenever, and even Ross Maeda, who you know, Ross is Ross has told me a ton of stories about Mark, and it's like he's the guy that all of you guys go that that dude was bad. He was a bad dude. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, Bob had his intimidation of just just pure speed, kind of the Stewart thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he'd also been around a long time, and, you know, he backed up his words. And so when he said something, you believed it. Mm-hmm. And then when you're watching him ride, he'd still even lift it a little higher than that. With Barnett, it wasn't so much about um, hanging on to, you know, it almost crashed and saved it. It was more – he was pretty under control always. Mm-hmm. But he had that super aggressive position of hard charging, like, you know, this, this – He's getting chased, and, you know, it's life or death. He rode like that always, and you knew through the grapevine that nobody rode more yeah. or trained harder. Right, right, right. Like, even Bob would, might even go, well, you know, I, I don't know. It might be a tie, but right. 
Barnett was pretty gnarly, and a lot of what Barnett did was down in Alabama, mm-hmm. I think. And so it was radical. He'd just ride a bike till it died and get another one and ride it until it died. And I, I thought that was just, you know, like things had been hyped up, but it was the truth. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it showed. So that motivated Johnny. and what, So he set that bar. Right. And Bob set a different one. And I don't know there's that many other guys that set any bars. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely Barnett was one of them, and Hannah was one of them. And the race in that era and even be up there with them was like, that's good enough for me. Right, right. Hey, I'm curious how this uh, works. You know, a lot was based in, obviously, California then. But, okay, so you were Virginia, and Bob would go to Sun Valley, Idaho, and Barnett in Alabama. Uh, we all know how that process is. Everybody has a place in Florida now. It's, it's like a factory. They have yeah. it all figured out, how they ship stuff, how they rotate stuff. They have practice mechanics, shops, tracks. How did it work back then? Was it pretty rudimentary? Like, was stuff getting overnight shipped like it is now, or is it like, here's the bike, it's got to last you six months? How did that work? It was uh, nothing like now. Absolutely <laughs> nothing, nothing like now. <laughs> I had no idea what Ward was doing. And somehow, mm-hmm. Brock and, and Burnworth and Rick and Machine were in El Cajon, but rarely saw each other. And then Johnny was out and see me, and I would join him sometimes. Bob's in, I don't know, the desert someplace. and Bean Barnett's Canyon, in yeah. The yeah. Jungle. And, and so I'm in Virginia, <laughs> and we didn't have any information. There's no YouTube, there's yeah. no hearsay and lap times and stats. There was nothing, no data to go on. So it's even more like a, you know, a prize fight, you know, back in the day. They, they had a little bit of info on the other guy, but – you still want to make sure you do enough so you don't get in there and just get beat to heck, right? So I'd be in Virginia thinking, yeah, I'll do one more. <laughs> I'll do one more. <laughs> I'll run a little further because I don't want to get to Anaheim and find out that I came up short in my preparation. Yeah. So I think from that aspect, from just your own personal desire to train and do enough riding and riding skill and, and volume, um, and be fast enough. You had to police that yourself. You didn't have a bunch of people out there kind of helping you through it with like a paint-by-numbers system, um, plus all this information of what everyone else was doing, plus on the same track. You know, a lot of times they all go to Paula or whatever, Glen Helen. Right. And we didn't have that. And I think um, it was kind of neat the, and special in, in the way it was for us because there was so much mystery. David, um, go ahead. Yeah, there was so much of a mystery about it all that when we got to Anaheim, man, it was like rolling dice. I had no idea where I was stacked up. And that's how come in the first round or two, a lot of us would get arm pumped because we were just pressing. (laughs) There's an infamous story. I was wondering how the equipment stuff works. Like, uh, dude, teams must spend 50 grand on shipping these days. Like, what did they – they gave you a practice bike? Do you have a practice mechanic? How'd that all work? I had a bike in a van – um, in out here in California and in various places I kept it and then I'd go up to and ride with Johnny and stay at his house mm-hmm. uh, not a works bike just a production bike and I, I liked having my front end right I didn't care about the back I could have a rear flat it didn't matter <laughs> the front end needed to be so that it was like my race bike so mm-hmm. I had a triple clamp whatever and a forks I think and then but it's stock 
back east, I would have two 250s and a 125. And um, I had to take care of those in such a way that they would last. And if I needed parts, I had to call and figure out what all that was. So sometimes <laughs> I just get a big bag of filters. Yeah. And I do all my own stuff. And um, wow. when I come out and ride with Johnny at Simi, Jim Felt lived in Simi Valley. And so he had a works bike. And Jim would come over um, often enough and maintain it. Because the works bikes were pretty finicky and yeah. pretty special. It didn't last the same as a production bike in, in some areas. And there were, you know, it was like if we're out screwing around and climbing a hill and, you know, oops, and the thing goes tumbling to the bottom, you don't want to do it to a works bike. <laughs> so a lot of times Johnny and I'd be looking at something, he'd be like, you do it. <laughs> I'm on a, you know, I don't want to ruin this thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know about the rest of the guys, but that's how it worked for me. I always like to have a 125 to ride just to stay, like, quick enough and, you know, be kind of spunky and fast like Barnett and Morty and just be able to bat out of the corners and be quick. And then um, I never had a 500 that often until 84 when I had that really fast one. And uh, part of the year I got the works bike to ride because, I mean, I'd ride a production one and then get on that. And it was like, yeah, you know, the night it's like a rent a car and an f1 cars you can't connect. well we, we weege and i were talking earlier on the show about you know should we bring that uh, would we want to see another gnc title come back to the sport nowadays and and, and any way you look at it i just don't want david two number ones in the same class like we had in 84 i felt like that was super weird it was and so when i went to the first round at, at gainesville and they signed they signed uh, Lachine. He came to Honda in 84, and that's when I was running that plate. Yeah. And instead of defending the 250 title, I didn't care about that. It didn't matter to me. Right. I was like, I want it. I'll do something else now. So they, Lachine was going to ride 250s. Hannah was, you know, going to ride whatever the hell he wanted, and you weren't going to say anything. <laughs> yeah. And he wanted to ride 250s. And Johnny was uh, defending his 125 title. So I'm like, oh, cool. I'll ride the 500. I like the big bikes. Yeah. I rode them as an amateur. So I didn't know that when I got on that 84 500 works bike, it was going to be that cool and fast and amazing. Right. And Brock's was horrible that year. <laughs> and so the difference was, you know, rent a car, a foot car, kind of. And he's just, you know, standing at the riders meeting like, really? <laughs> and then I'm number one, and that's kind of, and he's number one. He's yeah. like, really? Yeah. You know, he didn't say anything, but I, he had to be like, man, this isn't, it, it probably was a little bit of a, just kind of let a little wind out of his sail, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. surprise. So that was weird, you know, it's it, number one, no, number one gets him back, you know. It, it was weird, yeah, as a fan yeah. reading it, I'm like, uh, I'm like, I don't know, two number ones, I get it, David's the GNC <laughs> series, I get it, but I was not like, yeah, I was like, this is super weird. So. Things have their time, you know, and that yeah. that was cool for the time. I, to try to make things like they were, it, you know. Yeah. I used to do that a little bit in my mind as being kind of creative. I'd, I'd be like, what if they – I'm over that. Like, yeah, yeah. just let it – back to that Adam Sandler talking about Jack Nicholson. He's like, hey, I'm a Lakers fan, you know. Come on over because he was some back east fan, you know. Yep. Just come on over, you know. He used to sit up in the stands and – um, Stan was like, yeah, I don't know if I can be a Lakers fan. I don't know. And he goes, yeah, I was like that too, but I just let it go. 
<laughs> and it's the same, you know, like just forget it. Just let it evolve to what it is and enjoy that for what it was. You know, right, it's right. not baseball, it's not the same. Um Anything else, Swedish? It's ironic. The uh, well, the irony is, from from what I'm reading about this Wrangler Jeans sponsorship, was that the whole idea was they were like, "Hey, we want to promote the sport, and we think if the sport had one champion, it would be easier to promote." And then the irony is, it ends up with this ultra confusing situation of yeah. points, guys in different classes racing each other, and then two number one plates on the same track the next year. It was actually almost more confusing to have it, uh, but the goal was for it to be less. <laughs> and that's yeah. how come. I think they were just like, okay, we'll just, you know, we, we, it was worth a try. We, we got a little out of that. It was, but it's not worth it enough to continue. And Bell Ray was like, well, wait, what? What now? So no one's going to do that again? Well, we'll pick it up. So it was $15,000. And then it was a blue and white plate, Bell Ray's colors. And I, when I won it again, that's how come I had the blue and white plate, Bell Ray. And right. I got robbed that year in uh, Gainesville, gunpoint, at my hotel. I don't know, it was weird. Long story. Yeah. Wait, literally uh, robbed. Scary. Way scary. Yeah. Oh. And, um, wow. Two guys, two guns, tied up, the whole thing. So, um, when they had the AMA banquet in California later that year, they they gave me the the fifteen grand, like in a briefcase and handcuffed it to me. Which <laughs> <laughs> was pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, well, and David, you did also, uh, you got a sweet Wrangler ad with Bomber in some jeans uh, in the magazine. So you did get that out of it, too, yeah. besides the 30K. You got a Wrangler jean ad out of it. Yeah, I mean, when I won this title, I'm not complaining. It's just it's funny to look back at things. I, when I won the Wrangler, I mean, the the Supercross title in 83, I got a, a Wrangler belt buckle. Really cool belt buckle. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's a belt buckle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what's that? Um, wow. And then the next year when Johnny won, I think he got a Toyota truck and <laughs> a points fund in there. So he got 50 grand. And uh, I'm like, you're like, Dang oh, it. yeah, wait a minute. Where's the truck? I'm the wrong year, man. Right. I could buy a house. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, Johnny, you want to <laughs> trade your truck for a belt buckle? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I've learned uh, quite a while back and, and it, and even at the time, there was something in me and my wiring that I didn't really care about money. I cared about what it was I was doing and how I was doing it and who I got to do it with in the mm-hmm. era. That's what was all cool. And the money was just like, wow, you know, what do I do with all this? <laughs> and so, and in, in more recent years, you know, I realized, hey, if I, if I got to pick between money or just time, I'm taking time. You know, and I'll, I'll live on a, a smaller more toned down life, but have lots of time. Right, right. Wow. Uh, anything else for David Weege? Uh No, this is fantastic. It, it's it's impossible really to boil this down to one thing because I want to ask all this stuff about the era and the bikes and the competition, but then also this one particular race and the GNC title. Uh, there was a lot to pack in here, so <laughs> thanks. We could probably yeah. go on for another two hours. <laughs> oh yeah, you know. I mean, but Hannah. Uh, doing what he did, very appreciative. Machine doing what he did. Some, a lot of times he's like, you're welcome, Bandit. You know? <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, he, always, he calls me the Bandit because they picked up the Supercross series that year, and people started calling me that. And uh, he he calls me that. He's like, you're welcome. Um, so I cool. appreciate it. He still does this day. Like, Machine will bring this up to this day? Uh, no. 
not unless it's kind of brought up, and then he'll chime in and be like, "You're welcome, Bennett." Uh, I, I brought uh, I brought it. this race up love to Lachine. I brought this race up to Ronnie. Ah, I don't know, like a year or two ago. And he was like, dude, I was so tired. I couldn't believe I held off Barnett. I can't believe I held him off. <laughs> and, you know, if you're Mark, you got to be thinking, like, yeah. kid, look, kid, okay? <laughs> this is a big deal for me, all yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you uh, have to be, you have to pick this one moto to ride unbelievably right, well. Right. And well, just screw me out of everything you know if it weren't for ronnie riding so well that moto i, I wouldn't have that plate. Well, it I, would have been on mark's bike and that could have changed the trajectory of everything and i gotta say as a barnett fan i thought the the race uh, i've watched this on youtube i know that and I, I thought the race i thought ronnie held him off the whole entire way but my guy barney he had the lead you know when he got oh, caught yeah. in pass. So 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 you know, uh, full props to. He went down in flames. He gave yes. it everything yep. he had. Yep. It was just um, it was a little bit too late. You know, it's like saying, man, if Tomac would have got a better start at Paula one. Right. right. <laughs> no. Yeah, but it, he didn't, and it's too late. And That's it. Um, <laughs> it worked out in my favor, and I have a belt buckle and a, <laughs> and a blue and yellow plate. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, well, David, yeah, thanks again, David. Always appreciate the time to chat. You have an incredible memory of this stuff, and uh, it's great, man. So thank you for the time. My pleasure. Thanks. It gets talked about a lot, and so that keeps my memory fresh. Nice. Thanks, DB. Right on. Thanks. See you guys. Always. Good stuff from David. And again, uh, Weege, my takeaways from that are – it wasn't that big of a deal at the time for David. Like, he wasn't really focused on it, which is odd because it's 30K and an overall number one plate. And, and two, uh, yeah, he should he said he thinks he should have been a little nicer to Ronnie, to Bob, to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the reason we thought the 30 grand was a huge idea or a huge deal is because we only just now found out that he got 100 grand for the 250 national title. Yeah. So he got more than three times yeah. the amount, which I got to say, I know we, we kind of figure the going rate on, say, a Supercross title today is a million bucks, something like that. But a hundred grand, 1983, uh, that's that's a pretty nice payday. Yeah, like, yeah, no, Honda absolutely. Honda was spending some money. Yeah, absolutely, right? And yeah. David was David yeah. crushed it that year, uh, pocketbook-wise, for sure. It's funny, yes. in the Cycle News, Glover clinches the 500s. And in the Cycle News story, uh, they asked how he feels about winning the title. Glover says, just how anyone would feel if they were $100,000 richer. I feel great. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I guess the hundred grand thing was out. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it, 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 it was known. Right, right. And I also like the fact that David had to fly to Disney Nations right after with Bomber sitting there. Going, yes, ah, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, but I didn't know – I don't know Bom Bomber nearly as well as you guys. I've talked to him a few times here and there. But I didn't realize, like, his personality was fit for this. Like, he just – No, dude, he's – Bomber's a tough, tough interview about his own career. Just yeah. yeah so, so he wasn't ranting and raving about losing this. No, career. no, not at all. No, I think he's let it go. Yeah, he's done pretty yeah. well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and, and uh, a couple other things that uh, he, David mentioned here. If you look, if you type 1983 Millville into YouTube, uh, you'll actually not find the national alone. You'll find this, I guess, uh, documentary that Honda must have paid to have made. Yeah. Uh, so I'm assuming that Honda is like, hey, this big title, uh, um, our guy David Bailey's in the running for it. Our guy Johnny O'Mara is going to win the 125 title. We have Bob Hanna. Uh, let's send a, fil a film crew out. 
I'm assuming for these last three races when they probably knew the titles were looking good. So you can watch this video. It's the only video I think that exists of these, except, uh, you know, David Bailey's dad, Gary, was also shooting. So who knows? He might have some raw clips out there somewhere, but it wasn't on TV or anything. Yeah. See, I've, uh, I've seen this race. So on TV? No, just on YouTube or a DVD yeah. or something. Not I saw the race. I think it was da- Gary's camera uh, okay. because I either I have a bunch of old DVDs. God knows where I got them from. I don't who knows yeah. Uh, yeah. VHSs or whatever. So I've seen yeah. this. There's no commentary. It's just Lachine bomber, you know, yeah. back and forth like for a long time. And then at some point, uh, Lachine hits Johnny right at the end of the moto or something or Lachine hits. <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah, so it's so crazy. So. It comes down to this final moto of the year, and as you said, how odd the 125s race last, right? Yeah. And Lachine is going to hold off Barnett, which is going to cost Barnett the title. And Lachine is on a Yamaha. He's not there to help Bailey. He just, as uh, as Bailey said somewhere, uh, 16-year-old Ron Lachine didn't give two shits about anybody's title. He just wanted to win the race, I think <laughs> is what Bailey yeah. said. So Lachine is holding off Bomber. It's going to decide the title. And then apparently O'Mara in fifth is getting lapped. Yeah. And then Lachine runs into O'Mara, and that allows Barnett to almost pass him. And if you watch this documentary, the last turn of the year is O'Mara, Barnett, and Lachine going into the final corner. And Barnett almost crashes trying to take Lachine out to make a last-ditch pass. And I'm just like, freaking what? Yeah. yeah. This is how this race ended? Crazy, right? Oh my- uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's nutty. I forgot about that. I was wondering why O'Mara was there. That's right. He was getting lapped. They pushed all the way up there. Yeah, and yeah. It, said, it just said Lachine and Barnett's pace was so torrid, they lapped fifth place O'Mara, who was just cruising to win the 125, to clinch the 125 title. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Um, and and, and again, watched, yeah. Bomber was an animal. He was an animal, and it was so hot yeah. this day, and Lachine just held yeah. him off, man. So, yeah. Well, you said it to Bailey. Sheen's quote is, I'm going to go cool off in the creek. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great. Um, all right. Uh, I'll tell you what, though. Yep. This says a lot about the Lachine potential because you're looking at Barnett, like animal, all time legend, one of the best 125 riders ever. Still really good at this point, like not past his prime, like still a bad dude. Like Bomber could have won this 125 title, but just some mechanicals. Yeah, he was stuff, 20 right? points back of O'Mara, and I think he had three mechanicals yeah. or something. Yeah. So you've got Ward in the class, legend, O'Mara in the class, legend, Barnett in the class, legend, and 16 year old Lachine wins at the end of the year. Four races. Just starts kicking their yeah, ass. Just starts, yeah. starts winning. Yep. 16. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. So I'm assuming, uh, I guess after this season, Honda just said, yeah, we got the most money and you're the best guy, so we're signing you. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Yamaha. Yeah, exactly. And just took another guy. I, I bring this up to say, at the end of 83, if people like you and me were around doing media, you'd be like, uh, so this machine guy is going to win 100 races and 10 <laughs> titles? Yeah, yeah exactly like, right. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. He just took Bomber, o- Osho, and Wardy down as a rookie, 16 years old. No problem. Yep. So you're, I'm sure you're just thinking like, oh, and he's going to Team Honda next year. He'll just destroy everybody. Uh, but yeah. it didn't and, and really happen like that. No, RJ beats him on a production bike for the outdoor title. Yeah, like what? Crazy. What? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, yep. And Lachine only ends up with one national championship when all said and done. So, uh, by the way, yeah, I talk, you never know. I talked to Dogger at Paula. He wants to do one of these, and he wants it to be the 88 MXDN. So let's do that. Let's, oh, let's, sweet. Let's, let's dial yeah. that one up. Um, all right. So Liat re-raceables categories. Who really won the race? Well, th- this one, Bob Hanna won the overalls, uh, Lachine, Hanna, and Glover. But there is no doubt, uh, we, David Bailey really won this race. 
No, I'm going to finally break oh, rank here. Okay. We've had a bad streak going. We're yeah. had a bad streak going. Um, I'm going to say I'm, I'm going to go right back to what I just said. Who really won? T- to me, the most blind, mind-blowing performance on this day, I got to give it to Dogger. Barnett had 30,000 reasons to try to get that final moto win of the year. And 60-year-old Dogger doesn't care about anything, probably not in shape at all. Just held him <laughs> off. I mean, okay, but Lachine, or, or Bailey clinched two titles. I know, but he didn't even win the race. But it's the, the category is who really won the race. Never mind the actual results. Who really won? I'm I'm giving it to Dogger. Okay. What a performance. All right. Fair yes. enough. Yeah. No. I... Bailey won the year. Congratulations. He won the year. Uh, okay. Fair enough. I, I, I'll give it. Yep. I'll give you that. Uh, I was yep. very disappointed, as I said, to to read in the cycle news that the uh, bomber actually got passed by Dogger. I thought Bomber followed him all moto long, according to legend. But uh, he actually had the lead, according to cycle news. So um, I just feel bad for these guys. You know that this level of media that we're doing right now. Did not exist back then. Because could you imagine watching these motos live on TV and then a, a, a pulp show on Monday after all this goes down? Yeah. Kind of pulls over for Bailey. Lachine holds off Barnett, which cost him the title by a point. Three different national championships wrapped up in one day. Like, our heads would have been exploding over this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Instead, yep. we got two pages in Cycle News. See you next year. <laughs> exactly. And, and they're not even at the front either. They're just like eight buried in a Cycle News. Is it buried? Yeah, it's just is buried. It buried. Yeah, it's just not even like the front thing. It's just like yeah, no, no, yeah. The headline, right? Bailey squeaks to title in Minnesota. Ah, oh, solid. Wow, yep. epic day. Yeah, Bailey exactly. squeaks to title. Right. <laughs> um, all right. Those are the categories for those two. The next one is uh, Lit Kit Award. We have no real photos from this uh, from this race or anything. Cycle news is very very odd. But I, I mean, I'm gonna assume what the guys were wearing at this race were you know what they wore most of '83. And if that's the case, you got to go with David Bailey and his JT outfit. Or, or O'Mara. You could pick either guy. They're both wearing JT. They're both factory Honda. And they both looked good uh, around this era, Weech. Yeah, O'Mara threw in the boot gaiters. But look, I cannot, I cannot go back on my word. I've told you I'm not an old school JT guy. I've told you this. So it would be ridiculous for me to pick JT now. So... Uh, I'll just go with Hannah. Was Hannah wearing like HRP or something HRP, this yeah. time? Yep. Fine. Yeah, he was wearing Hannah Racing products. I'll just go with that. Just can't do it. You can't do it. I've talked too much smack on the JT thing to pick it. But yes, there's no doubt you see pictures of Bailey from this era and you're like, that is clean. This one will be easy to do. Lee at Re-Raceables category. Who's that guy? <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, it, it, we're, who are, are all we these stick, guys? Are we sticking to one class or just kind of anybody, any class? Are we? Do, what's the rules on this one? Yeah, we do have three nationals in uh, in one day. So uh, I, I'll go. I know a lot of these guys, but the best guy, the guy that did the best that I don't know anything about, Doug Jackson, seventh <laughs> overall in one twenty fives, eleven seven on the day. I pulled him up. I pulled him up on the vault. He's from Kentucky. Uh, Spring Creek was his last ever pro race. Whoa! That, yeah, that he got that is listed in the vault, anyways. And uh, it was t- uh, one off his career best set earlier this summer, or earlier that summer at Redbud. Uh, Doug Jackson. I know nothing about Doug Jackson. So, yeah, if you look through these results, me and you, I'd say we can easily name, we could still probably name 75% of the guys. Yeah. There's, yeah. You can go back to about 13th, 15th in either class, and it's guys we've heard of. And then, yeah, then it just gets a little crazy. So let me just pick a couple of the random names out of the hat. Uh, congratulations to... Johnny Spew, Spa? for 15th. Spew? Spa, Spa Spew yeah. for yeah. 15th in the 250 class, 16-14 moto scores. What about 
Don Whipple, Whipple 17th in the uh, 250 class, or even Mike Twig, who went DNF 15 for 19th. What about Jeff class. Schumacher, related to Michael Jeff, at all? <laughs> Jeff Michael Schumacher. Right. Uh, I'm also impressed in the 500 National, the final moto of the year, an epic battle between the Mickeys, 14th, Mickey Diamond. 14th nice epic nice the Mickeys. yeah yeah yes. that that, that two very similar guys oh two totally totally <laughs> kessler was the one to hung out with motley crew right I, I don't know i which one is which i mean <laughs> who knows one yeah. guy's from jersey <laughs> one guy's from jersey and builds suspension one guy's from hollywood and hangs out with motley crew it's very similar <laughs> right very right similar uh yeah. so yeah all right and then uh overall championships uh some guy named jim holly got 10th overall in 250s whatever happened to him yeah, yeah, Jim Holly, right, who was on our uh, one of our debut episodes of this. Uh, and uh, also, uh, lost in here for me, uh, we'll really jump down the results, by the way. So Kent Howerton was the 250 national kind of dominator when Hannah gets hurt, right? Right. So I think it's, what, 80, 80, 81? He's the uh, 250 national champ. Yep, yep. And then 82, I think he broke his wrist or something. He just isn't even there. And 82 is when Honda begins its dominance, uh, starting with Hanson winning all the titles in 82. Uh I didn't. Howerton's just back on a Cowie race in 500 nationals. Yeah, it, in uh, 83. Yeah, and it was a tri- pretty trick bike. It had water cooling, which was cool back then. It, it had disc brakes. Yeah, it was a pretty cool bike. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know there was like a last hurrah attempt, and he got second in points actually to uh, Glover. Dude, there's Kent Howerton, and I, I don't have time to look this up in the vault. But Kent Howerton comes yeah. back in like 87 for the national in Texas, and I want to say gets like 11th overall. Good lord. Yeah. Yeah, like just one ride, like he lives in Texas. And, yeah. you know, he's just an he's just old man, old man strength probably at this point. Yep. And, and um, I'm going to pull it up here and see if, I can, see if I can figure it out. I do have time, I guess, for you people. Uh, well, I believe uh, uh, Howerton's one of those guys. Here we go, like, 88, okay. yeah. 88, yeah. 11th overall at Good Times MX Park. Wow, like, like five years past retirement. Yes. Yep. Uh, I remember going to a four-stroke national at uh, Cycle Ranch in 2002-ish. And uh, Howard Tim was still there, just tearing it up. Like, I think he's one of those guys, you know, you think of them as retired because they're not racing Supercross or Nationals anymore. Mm-hmm. But then there's other guys where it's like, no, they just still race every weekend. Yeah. And I think he's just one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. All right. Next category. Uh, where's JT? Uh, he's born, but. Um, <laughs> I think he's about four, three yeah, years old. Yeah, he's three or four. Probably not following the series that closely. Is, is Cindy here scoring? Um. Yeah, yeah, Cindy's probably here. Frank's here somewhere. Cindy's there. Yeah. Frank's wrenching right. for somebody. Yeah, probably. Okay. Uh, his parents are involved. I was going to say that. Um, all right. Uh, the Jacob Marsak Award for the guy who did the best without uh, anybody knowing. I, I could go back to Doug Jackson for the seventh overall. Uh, never heard of him, and he got seventh overall. So I could go certainly go to Doug Jackson for that one. Um, yeah. Here's a guy, here's a guy I'm going to throw a shout out to yeah. in general here. He only gets fourth overall in this race. But when you watch this Honda documentary, uh, it's like, okay, you got Hannah and Bailey going 1-2 in all these motos. They were the dominators of the 250 class. I did not know that Scott Burnworth was this good. Scott Burnworth is like the needle thorn in the side of Bailey and Hannah in like every freaking moto. Yeah. He's pulling like every hole shot. Hannah is abusing the shit out of him, like running him over in every corner. And then Burnworth like, get back around him. And then Hannah would like ram him again. And I'm like, I did not know Burnworth. And look, he's on an RM250. These guys are on Honda spaceships. Is we talked about this in our Stanton pod, like Stanton switches to Honda and goes to the next level. Yeah. 
is Burnworth just another one of like eight guys in the eighties that you're just like, if Honda had signed him and he got off those Suzuki's all of a sudden you've got a whole bunch of wins or maybe titles. Yeah. yeah I didn't know knows? Burnworth was this good. I, I didn't know Burnworth was this good. Burnworth made my uh, story about the riders who had one career moto win. Burnworth has yep. one career moto win in his, in his career, but uh, he was a great right. starter, an amazing starter. I guess that's what it is because I exactly I think I was a guy that won one moto and then I'm watching these clips and I'm just like uh he is giving Bailey and Hannah a challenge every darn moto but I guess that's what happens when you whole shot every uh, moto yeah yeah uh <laughs> Jeff Hicks nine nine for seventh wow good job Jeff okay. Hicks nine nine for seventh you just don't see that was too Hicks much. uh Hannah's running yeah. buddy yep. is that that's who yep. Jeff Hicks is yep. right they yeah. were buddies yeah Hicks Idaho Hicks was from Idaho up there so yep um yeah all right so I'll yeah, you, you'll say just Jacob Marzak Award. You didn't realize that Scott Burnworth was this this bad, this better. Yeah, he was basically yeah, a podium guy. Good. Right. Because uh, RJ was also in there. RJ got third. Uh, but it was like Burnworth, RJ fighting for third. I did not know that that was this the level Burnworth. 83 for RJ was at last year. He'd broken his hip in uh, Soupy, I think, or dislocated his hip yep. in Soupy. And yeah, well, you know, 82 was a big, big one for him. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. he kind of didn't do great uh, in 83. But of course, 84, he came back swinging. Yep. Um, On the title. Yeah. All right. Lee at Reraceables, well, Millville 83. I want to cover oh, this documentary. Okay. I want to cover this documentary. So you folks looked this up on uh, YouTube. It's worth it for the late 70s sounding music, which they were still using in 1983. Honda pays this guy, Peter Starr, I guess, to do this documentary on Bailey, Hannah, and O'Mara. And the footage is hilarious. The amount of things I think that were rigged to make the thing seem bigger than it is, they go to the final three rounds. They go to Washougal, Colorado, which is the old Thunder Valley track, and Millville. And they are like, and the fans were totally divided. Do they want Hannah to win or Bailey to win? And they basically find every hot chick they could find at the race and you know they just said on three yell david bailey and then found <laughs> another hot chick and said on three yell bob hannah there's they found every girl that had gone to these races and it's like i'm here for david bailey bob hannah david bailey and then you see all these bailey signs on the fences and i'm like i wonder if the movie people didn't uh, in minnesota signs. yeah in minnesota there's this strong hot bed of david bailey supporters Yes, there's the uh, – if you look in the cycle news thing, it says David Bailey, Virginia Express. I mean, I'm sure in Minnesota they were just so stoked on the yeah. Virginia Express. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, And Bailey literally wasn't really even on the scene as like a title race-winning guy two years earlier, maybe a little bit 82, showing some signs. Yeah, yeah, he was he, – he's 83, definitely. I rem- remember reading. It took people by storm for sure. Yeah. Right. So I just don't see the masses – Yep. Bob Hanna was zenith, unbelievably popular. Yep. I just don't see it was 50-50. Half the fans love <laughs> Bailey, and half the fans love Hanna. And then this film crew is up in their grill. Uh, as Bailey mentioned here, he's trying to act normal in the rental car. Yeah. You know, it, it almost is like the first vlog. Like, there's Bailey driving to the track. And I'm like, thinking, this is probably one of the first times uh, that, that anyone has ever seen this. Like, one of the riders driving to the race in their rental car, which is Troll Train, you know, and all these guys every single round now. Uh, I think it's a bit of a breakthrough. The only other thing I can think of, have you ever watched the profile they had in one of the Carlsbad GPs on Brad Lackey? It's just unbelievable I, unintentional comedy. I don't think I remember it. No, I'm sure I've seen it, uh, but I do not remember it. Was that the one where he's they, jogging in a jersey and stuff? I think so, yes. He's jogging and in he's a jersey. Born. He's got a jersey on. He's lifting weights. <laughs> yes, the lifting weights in the gym, Brad Lackey, in like 1980. It is like... 
it's three herniated discs yeah. instantly. Like yeah. when you watch this weightlifting. Yeah, like, I I, uh, I do remember something about that. Like how yeah, what Brad's day is like or something. Yeah, this is what Brad's day is like. And there's epic stories of those those Carlsbad GPs on ABC where it was all fake. Like the Coster said they'd pick him up in a limo and then drop him off just to make it look like he took a limo. Really? To track. <laughs> no, you ever hear that story? No, I didn't know. Oh, it's one of the Coster's favorite stories. He's like, okay, you're the world champ, so we're gonna have the film crew come and pick you up in a limo. And then we'll shoot you going to the track in a limo. But then they drive like 20 feet and they're like, all right, get out. <laughs> I did not know that. Yes. I yes. will ask him so about these, that. that. That sounds like Roger oh. would tell the story. Yeah. Oh, oh he would. Yeah. He, he really enjoys it. So my point is <clears throat> 1983 documentary. Like this is a pretty ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. I guess Honda was spending just absolute crap tons of money in every way. Yep. Uh, so I encourage people to check it out for the crappy music, the, the fans, the fake uh, posters uh, and everything else it's 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 pretty epic and then it ends with this out what ends steve it ends with that crazy ass last corner of bomber dogger yep. and omera and then it cuts to bailey sitting on his box van and smiling nice like nice. i've won it yeah and that's how it ends yeah that's it oh geez <laughs> i'm gonna go watch yeah. this again I, I thought i'd seen it but maybe not it's awesome <laughs> it's good. It's good. uh please check it out and uh please check out liet and maxis and blends all on board of the liet re-race well, thanks to david bailey you know he doesn't do a lot of stuff david doesn't do a lot of stuff so really appreciate his time yeah he's uh he's pretty humble about it now i mean obviously he had spotlight for a long time but i've through the years at racer x you know offered him like hey you know, we could do a call every monday or tuesday what do you think about the races or yeah. you know send us some ideas and somewhere along the way you know i think five ten years ago i think he said you know what i've had my time i'm i'm good yeah yeah i agree yeah yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I asked him to do something uh uh a little while ago and he's just like no nah, man i just i've done enough of that and i'm like okay yeah no yep. problem i was gonna hire him. i was gonna pay him you know what i mean and everything I, sure. he was like no nah, i've done that man i've done enough and i'm like okay all right so, yeah, Same here. really appreciate yep. getting David on, on the phone. Um, really, really cool. Uh, yeah. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Weege, as always, thank you. 83 Millville GNC title chase. Uh, Elite Re-Raceables. Thanks, Weege. See ya.